You're listening to The Diplomats Podcast on Asian geopolitics. As always, I'm your host, Ankit Panda from New York City. And this is Prashant Parmaswaran from Washington, D.C. Okay, so Ankit, uh, today uh, let's sort of talk about uh, U.S. relations with uh, Pakistan, which has been in the headlines of late, beginning with uh, Trump's inaugural uh, New Year tweet, where he tweeted out a broadside against Pakistan, but then followed by several uh, policy pronouncements, some of them not really clear, about U.S. restrictions and reductions in assistance to Pakistan. We're still not sure about the exact figures, but most of them involve military aid and coalition-related support funds uh, to Pakistan, and that's sort of gotten um, the community of of, uh, D.C. policy analysts, but also uh, internationally folks around the region talking about what the implications are not only for U.S. foreign policy, but also you know, Pakistan's foreign alignments, um, South Asia, U.S. presence in Afghanistan. So a lot to talk about there. But you wrote a couple of pieces um, about Trump's initial tweets, but then also the subsequent policy proposals that have been adopted since. I mean, what's your take on what listeners should be watching for in terms of next steps, but also, you know, how to put all of this in context, as always, with the Trump administration, as we've been talking about before? Yeah, no, this is this is a fascinating topic. I'm glad we're, you know, digging into it a little deeper on this podcast. I know we talked about it a bit on the last episode, just looking at what to watch for in 2018 in Asia. And I think certainly, you know, this will be one of the big stories. Um, so, you know, I think first, maybe a good place to start is to talk about how not new a lot of this is, right? I mean, you look at the history mm-hmm. of U.S.-Pakistan relations, um, and you see a history of dysfunction between these two countries that at their best times have considered each other difficult allies, and at their worst times um, have even considered each other enemies uh, to an extent. Um, obviously, you know, the Pakistan remains a major non-NATO ally of the United States, so there is this kind of veneer of friendship above uh, all the unease that lays below the surface. Um, And, you know, Pakistan, we also should, you know, make clear for readers that when we're talking about Pakistan, you know, we're talking about a country that has been through repeated periods of rule by military, um, several military coups, most recently under uh, General Pervez Musharraf um, after um, the 1990 coup against a 1999 coup against uh, Prime Minister Nawaz Sharif. Currently, civil-military relations in Pakistan remain dis- uh, um, you know, difficult. I think it's important to distinguish in any conversation about Pakistani foreign policy and, and national interest the unique incentives that make the Pakistani military and intelligence services a, a powerful actor domestically, but also a powerful actor when it comes to guiding the country's foreign security policy. And we see that reflected in both how Pakistan behaves in its neighborhood, especially with India and Afghanistan, but also certainly in how Pakistan navigates the alliance with the United States. Um, and this is an alliance that has a bit of a patron-client relationship um, aspect to it, certainly, um, and that is the focus of um, the recent policy moves by the United States regarding the suspension of aid. Um, so let's talk a bit about the aid. I mean, there's multiple kinds of aid that the United States gives to Pakistan. Uh, the numbers that we've seen in multiple reports have varied, but um, um, at least, you know, the administration has confirmed that $255 million in foreign military financing would be um, will be suspended. Um, um, under um, the fiscal year 2018 um, appropriations, and then um, coalition support fund reimbursements, uh, which are a larger sum and uh, effectively give Pakistan money back for its efforts in combating uh, terror groups, um, have also been suspended. But we don't specifically know that. But effectively, I mean, you know, the the big takeaway is that this is some amount of money that is larger, considerably larger than 255 million, potentially up to a billion dollars, depending on whose numbers you're working with. Um, And, you know, to go back to the point of how not new this is, I mean, 
we've seen this before. We've seen this uh, with the Obama administration. Um, you know, Obama was tough on Pakistan as a candidate. He was tough on Pakistan in 2009 in his first year in office. Just like Trump, he gave a speech on Afghanistan strategy. The United States has been, you know, is entering its 17th year in Afghanistan now. So uh, multiple presidents have recognized that a big problem for the United States and Pakistan is uh, in Afghanistan is the support by Pakistan's military for various proxy groups in the country uh, helping destabilize it, including the Taliban. So, you know, Obama... Uh, did point out that Pakistan was a source of trouble. I mean, if you look at the you know the words used in both speeches, Obama talked more about Pakistan in his speech than Trump did in August 2017 when he announced his own strategy. So the diagnosis isn't the difficult part. It has never been the difficult part. I mean, uh, this is even an issue, like you pointed out, uh, that has quite a degree of consensus within the D.C. community, um, the D.C. policymaker community, think tank community. Everybody recognizes that Pakistan is a difficult partner for the United States. Um, what has been difficult is modifying Pakistan's behavior. Um, and no American president has really um, figured out the key to that, partly because, uh, depending on who you ask, uh, they haven't been willing to push far enough. Uh, you know, there is the common expression that Pakistan um, holds a gun to its head, and that gun is its nuclear weapons, which um, American analysts consistently worry about falling into the hands of non-state actors, terror groups, what have you. So Pakistan has a fair degree of leverage in that sense over the United States, uh, in addition to the close historic ties between the two countries and the considerable military aid that has gone towards Pakistan. So that's what you know. I think the question is right now is that the United States has done this before, has suspended aid, has uh, taken pot shots at Pakistan rhetorically, the relationship's been difficult, but will anything change? And I'm not sure the answer to that is clear as of yet. Yeah, uh, uh, I would agree with that. I, and I think, you know, the, the, the difficulty, I guess, um, you know, the, the, big, the bigger, broader question is, as people look at this policy move um, in terms of the restrictions to assistance, and then they look at what probably the Trump administration strategy is going to be in terms of its outlines, in terms of either keeping the United States engaged in Afghanistan and potentially, you know, sending more military personnel, equipment, maybe a potential escalation further out. If, you know, Pakistan is not part of that effort or there's a sense from the Pakistan from the Pakistanis that they want to retaliate in some way, you know, how is the United States going to manage that difficulty? And that I, I guess is probably a reason why some people are hesitating about that. And, you know, I'm, I'm sure you saw, you know, that there's all these media reports coming out. I think Reuters came out with a story saying that, you know, even though there has been a policy review going on in the Trump administration, um, they may have, you know, pulled the trigger a little bit too early in terms of, you know, Trump coming out uh, with, with his tweets and them having to struggle to come up with an actual policy response when, in fact, you know, the actual policy review was, was may have only been sort of due to be completed in March or April. And that would have sort of thought about these various scenarios about if Pakistan retaliates, how would the United States maybe use some alternative options? Now, you know, we all know what, what those options are and, and, and the U.S. can probably sort of conjure up some kind of response. But, you know, it's important to remember here, as, as you correctly pointed out, I mean, that Pakistan has its own agency. There are things that the Pakistanis can do in terms of making life difficult for the U.S. There's things that they can do um, with respect to China, um, which which I guess is, is one angle that, you know, maybe we could explore more. I mean, you, you've you written about, you know, China's involvement in, in, in South Asia before, the China-Pakistan relationship, the China-Pakistan economic corridor, but also like some of the things that the Chinese have been doing diplomatically in, in the region, too, in terms of engaging um, uh, the Afghans and the Pakistanis. I mean, what's your sense of 
the China angle in all of this. I guess the the conventional wisdom is that, you know, when the U.S. sort of pulls back, the Pakistanis will move closer towards the Chinese. But the I guess there are some limits to that too, and the Pakistanis recognize that, whether it's with CPAC and the rest, right? Yeah, I mean, so this has been actually, you know, a little bit of a source of frustration, I guess, reading a lot of analysis about this um, move that Trump made. You know, people, I mean, there's a lot of this right now that if Trump pulls back in some way, people will say, oh, this is a gift to China and that China is going to be so happy that America is stepping back. And I actually really don't think that that's the case here at all. Um, I think China recognizes the the risks of uh, Pakistan growing further destabilized and they have benefited certainly from the United States um, supporting Pakistan militarily, encouraging Pakistan to take action against terrorists within its own borders, even if the Pakistani military has treated that as a secondary or rather performative priority. But the Chinese certainly aren't happy uh, to see, you know, Pakistan and the United States entering this period of difficulty again. In uh, in 2011, too, I think that was certainly the case. 2011 was a famously bad year in uh, U.S.-Pakistan relations, um, you know, everything from the Raymond Davis affair to the uh, unilateral assassination of Osama bin Laden on Pakistani territory by U.S. commandos. Uh, so, you know, I think I think China's reaction to this is going to be a lot more nuanced than people think. Uh, so, yes, I mean, there is the China-Pakistan economic corridor, which, uh, you know, the Chinese have committed multiple billions of dollars. Um, the capital outlays are lower, but certainly this is, you know, the crown jewel of Xi Jinping's Belt and Road Initiative right now. It connects the Arabian seaport of Gwadar, a strategically significant entry point into Central Asia, Eurasia, the Eurasian landmass, connects Gwadar to, um, to Western China in Xinjiang. Um, and securing that, uh, you know, securing those passages, securing those um, infrastructure projects, making sure that Chinese workers aren't harmed in Pakistan, all of these are important priorities for China right now. Um, and, you know, I mean, even if you look back at the history of just Pakistan-China relations, I was actually, you know, um, browsing the CIA's uh, library reading room and looking at some historical documents with intelligence assessments that the U.S. had delivered in, you know, the 1970s, 1980s of China's relationship with Pakistan. And the U.S. has always been very clear about this, that Pakistan is always going to be closer to China than it will be to the United States on a strategic level. And when it comes to the level of the priorities of the Pakistani military. So the Pakistan-China relationship, I think, you know, is important to Islamabad and, and to Rawalpindi. Uh, uh, Rawalpindi being obviously the headquarters, the general headquarters of the Pakistani military, used as a metonym for the Pakistani military's interests. So both the civilian, um, you know, the civilians in Pakistan and the military recognize their relationship with China will be increasingly important. But that doesn't mean that China is a one-for-one -one substitute for what Pakistan um, gains from the United States. So I'm a little skeptical of this idea that you know China will sweep in and benefit with glee from this this downturn in U.S.-Pakistan relations. If anything, I think Beijing would prefer the United States to uh, retain a military presence in Afghanistan, as long as uh, Afghanistan can be uh, stabilized or some sort of political settlement can be reached. I think Beijing is definitely interested in that. They just hosted the first inaugural meeting uh, with the foreign ministers of Afghanistan and Pakistan uh, hosted in Beijing. So China is starting to take more of an interest in this. And not really starting. I mean, they've been, you know, been playing a larger role with the quadrilateral uh, coordination group um, with the U.S. as well in that context. Uh, so I think, you know, there is a, a more nuanced angle to this, um, to China's role in this whole thing. Right, um, and I and I guess the the other big player which we should we should probably talk talk about and touch on is is implications for for India um, because relative to the U.S. relationship with Pakistan under the Trump administration, it appears that um, e even though things were quite good under the Obama administration, um, whether you look at the national security strategy or some of the moves in the U.S. India relationship, it seems like India does have a prominent role to play in, in the U.S. policy in the Asia Pacific thus far. And, you know, with moves like we've, we've talked about before on this podcast, you know, 
whether it's the the, the quadrilateral or U.S. South Asia policy more generally, um, it does seem that there are some moves that we could see in U.S.-India relations for 2018 that would constitute significant strengthening for the relationship. But I guess from India's perspective, um, it, it seems like it's a bit of a mixed bag here too in terms of the U.S. approach to Pakistan. I mean, on the one hand, the Indians you know, haven't had a problem with uh, times when the U.S. has had a closer relationship with India and, and sort of uh, seen Pakistan as, as sort of more of a rogue uh, partner. In fact, the Indians probably you know, have insisted several times that the United States should you know, uh, forget you know, this, this idea that the Pakistanis can be actual allies in, in good faith, given the fact they've been playing this double game for so long. But on the other hand, um, the Indians, you know, when you have periods where the United States has shifted too much towards India and, and more of an offshore role in, in, in South Asia, there's also this dynamic where the Pakistanis become more irresponsible actors uh, in the region too, and that has negative implications for India that it has to deal with in its own neighborhood. So, so how do you see that picture evolving? Yeah, I mean, you know, somewhat predictably, um, there were quite a few excited headlines in India when uh, first when Trump tweeted and certainly when the announcements were made. Actually, I think even in anticipation of the announcements, Indian press, you know, started reporting that the aid had already been suspended. Um, you know, I mean, the Indians are obviously enthusiastic about this. There has been this thread where many in India are glad to see the United States recognize Pakistan for what it is. This happened with Obama, too, in 2009. Um, and, you know, I think the Indians have been pleasantly surprised by their success with the Trump administration. I mean, early in 2017, there were still no guarantees about whether the Trump administration would uh, commit what the Indians see as a fatal mistake in U.S. policy and look to bilaterally, uh, you know, mediate in the Kashmir dispute, which was, which was still hot at that time. And especially if you remember that ridiculous readout that came out between um, then-president-elect Trump and Nawaz Sharif right. when uh, the Pakistanis put a bunch of words in Trump's mouth. So I think, you know, there was some concern in India that uh, Trump might you know, look at South Asia as a secondary priority in the Asia Pacific and or rather the Indo-Pacific, I should say, and uh, and treat it with, you know, disinterest, look to maybe bilaterally mediate in Kashmir. Uh, so, I mean, obviously none of that happened and the Indians have been pleasantly surprised. They've, um, and, you know, I think we should probably also recognize that a lot of this has been due to successful Indian diplomacy. I think the Indians have worked hard to get in on the ground floor of this administration's kind of strategy review towards South Asia, get Trump to regard Modi as a partner on a personal level, um, and uh, those efforts have paid off. I mean, we've talked about it in the East Asian context before with the reconvening of the quadrilateral, the you know the introduction of the Indo-Pacific concept so heavily this year, but certainly in South Asia, I think the Indians are, are seeing dividends on their reach, um, their outreach to the United States with this Pakistan policy. And, um, you know, again, I mean, without knowing if... U.S. conditionality can actually work against Pakistan. I'm, I'm still skeptical that it can. It remains to be seen if this is going to be short-lived optimism with India. Um, you know, the, the line of control remains as unstable as ever. Ceasefire violations continue in Kashmir. Um, you know, India and Pakistan are far from, you know, out of the woods when it comes to their own bilateral troubles. I don't think that the United States can really play that kind of a role. Um, but, you know, I think uh, we should be talking a bit about, you know, some of the coercive tools that remain in the U.S. toolkit, right? I mean, um, suspending funding, I think, is not going to do the job. Uh, the Pakistan has seen this before. They've prepared for it. 
they invest quite a bit in indigenous technology. I mean, actually, just right after the U.S. suspended aid to Pakistan, Pakistan tested a new uh, ship-launched cruise missile and uh, touted its own uh, indigenous defense, you know, investments. I think, you know, maybe that was a message, maybe that wasn't a message, but, you know, it underlines that Pakistan can still sustain quite a bit of defense research and development and progress without U.S. funding, obviously. But, uh, you know, one one tool that the United States hasn't tried that has been mentioned, at least by Michael Anton, uh, Trump's uh, NSC spokesperson, is uh, potentially the idea of targeted sanctions against Pakistani individuals in the armed forces. Um, the United States hasn't done that yet, and that would make life difficult for uh, for uh, certain Pakistani military officials. But that, you know, the, the flip side of that is that it may it may take the U.S.-Pakistan relationship beyond a line or onto a path of no return, rather. Uh, where relations start to get so acrimonious and so bad in the United States, sees direct retaliation from the Pakistanis, including a suspension of the use of Karachi, which is going to grow increasingly important. Just as, I mean, you know, you just pointed this out, that it's it's absolutely incongruous that the United States would announce a troop surge in Afghanistan, where we now have 14,000 troops, up from 8,400 8, at the end of the Obama administration. So, you know, they announce a troop surge in Afghanistan, and then they announce sanctions, or not sanctions, but, you know, an aid aid suspension against Pakistan, potentially drawing a reprisal. I mean, without Karachi, uh, logistics and supply for the 14,000 U.S. troops in Afghanistan is going to be considerably more expensive and difficult. It's been done through the north before, but that network doesn't exist anymore. So there are ways that the Pakistanis can make life difficult for the United States. And, you know, they can uh, revoke, um, you know, access to the United States for, um, you know, targeted killings and drone strikes in in the federally administered tribal areas, the northwest of the country along the Duran line. Um, so there are ways that Pakistan can retaliate. I think we're going to see that um, if, if you know, we see 2018 turn into this, uh, turn into possibly the most acrimonious year in U.S.-Pakistan relations since uh, 2011. Right. Um, and I, I'd agree with that. I mean, it, it, the sense is um, that, you know, this could be, you know, just the tip of the iceberg when we when it comes to either further moves that the U.S. could take or potential retaliatory moves from Pakistan. And in that sense, you know, it's, it's pretty worrying for um, for the rest of 2018. I mean, I, I guess the the saving grace, perhaps, is that we, we still don't know whether this is sort of a broad well thought out, uh, comprehensive approach by the Trump administration that's going to be rolled out, or whether um, this is something that you know, as you said, I mean, could be short lived. I, I did want to touch a little bit um, before we go on on sort of the the end game to all this, right? So we've talked about um, you know measures the U.S. has taken, potentially retaliatory steps by Pakistan, uh, foreign alignments uh, that Pakistan has, its its own defense developments, but. You know the the one piece that I guess um, that would lead us to either think about whether this is some some kind of Trump transactional approach, or whether there has a, there is a particular endgame to all of this is the diplomatic side of things, right? So whether there could eventually be some kind of political settlement uh, involving the Taliban, whether it's led by the U.S. Or, or 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 some other forces as well. I mean, what's your sense as to whether I mean we could see some kind of diplomatic outreach um, or diplomatic component to to U.S. strategy? Because so far, I guess you know, based on what we've seen, you know, there's been a lack of attention to diplomacy. You know, all this this stuff about the gutting of the State Department and sort of an overall perception of a lack of coherence of U.S. policy. But, you know, it is still early days. I mean, what's your sense about whether, you know, we, we could see something like that? And, and if we did, I mean, is it, you know, too heavy of a lift or could this actually make a difference? I think it's probably too heavy of a lift. I mean, you know, no, uh, nothing against the U.S. diplomatic corps, but in Pakistan, I mean, the problem, it seems, has always been, you know, with this civil military divide, you mostly have diplomats interfacing with 
the Pakistani Foreign Office, um, you know, the Prime Minister's advisor on foreign affairs, uh, usually receiving platitudes and assurances that aren't watertight guarantees. Um, and for listeners who are interested in actually more of this, we actually, um, on this podcast a few years ago, had uh, Cameron Munter, who was the U.S. ambassador to Pakistan in in 2011, that very difficult year of the relationship. So if you're interested in hearing, you know, a firsthand perspective of what it's like to be the top U.S. envoy in the country, uh, go check that podcast out. It was a very good conversation. Um, but, you know, I mean, uh, we we don't really have a good idea of what the Trump administration's end state is. And that's obviously important to think about with any strategy. You know, what kind of end state is this administration trying to achieve in Pakistan? I think they're trying to get the Pakistani government uh, or get the Pakistani military to take its counterterrorism commitments that are often voiced loudly as uh, as a serious priority, not only as a performative priority to continue receiving USA, and that includes, uh, you know, targeting the Haqqani network, targeting the Pakistani Taliban, withholding support for Afghanistan-based uh, proxies, including the Afghan Taliban, allowing them to organize on Pakistani soil. Um, the administration has said that they've given Pakistan a specific list of deliverables um, without clarifying what those deliverables are. And remains to be seen if those are so specific, you know, uh, like are we talking about a map being handed over to the Pakistani military with specific militant camps that the United States has intelligence about but doesn't have access to with its drones? Is the U.S. requesting that the Pakistani military go in and take out certain high-value targets there? That's one thing. Or is the United States making a specific demand that you know, take, you know, take action against, you know, some percentage of the fighters who are fighting with the Haqqani network. It's a, it's hard to know, but I mean, the answers to those questions, I think, will determine the extent to which, uh, you know, we should take this current U.S. strategy a little bit more seriously. It's easy to lash out against Pakistan, right? I mean, Obama did it, um, Bush did it, other U.S. presidents have done it, um, but but it's difficult to change Pakistan's behavior. I mean, it, it, it's difficult to change any sovereign state's national interests, right? I mean, that's effectively what is at stake here for Pakistan. Um, and we've yep. talked a bit about this before. I mean, the Pakistani military's, you know, raison d'etre, a strategic culture are entirely um, built around opposition to India on one hand and preserving strategic depth in Afghanistan by by destabilizing the central government in Kabul. Um, and changing those isn't a matter of flicking some switches, turning off a little aid. Um, even sanctions probably can't go far enough. Um, so for now, you know, I'm skeptical that uh, even diplomacy can really sh help shift the needle here. Um, but, I mean, this is the latest administration to try. Things are a little different with Pakistan and China, with the China-Pakistan economic corridors. So that's a new variable, although I don't think it's the, uh, the variable that some people think it is. Um, but, you know, in general, I'll say that I'm, I'm, I'm pretty skeptical that uh, this, uh, this approach to Pakistan will work for the United States. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree. And, and I'd also say, I mean, the, the Pakistanis have long thought that... Um, now, the United States is by no means a, a permanent and reliable variable in, in South Asia. The sense is that you know the United States presence will sort of wax and wane, um, and so there's a sense that credibility there is an issue too. And and as you correctly pointed out, you know, that the United States is ultimately going to to focus more on India rather than Pakistan. Right. So Pakistan's always got to have this China relationship and always have these relationships with certain militant groups, uh, you know, uh, it, at least seen from mm -hmm. their perspective. So, um, yeah, so um, I guess like many things uh, we've discussed in the Trump administration and, and U.S. Asia more, more broadly, I guess it remains to be seen uh, what, what, we'll, what we'll actually uh, see for the rest of 2018. But I guess we'll, we'll leave it there for now. Yep. Um, and to our listeners, um, thanks for listening and uh, do leave us a review if you like what you're hearing. It always helps. Thanks, thanks. Prashant.